Today I'm speaking with Alex and Tim Porter of ModTech Labs. Prior to starting their company, Alex and Tim worked in AR and VR, collectively known as XR, in the entertainment and gaming industries. Today we discuss augmented reality, virtual reality, including technical issues with XR, including user-level issues such as super-realism. We also discuss some of the more positive and encouraging use cases for AR and VR. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Alex and Tim Porter. Welcome to the Arsenic Show. Today we have with us uh, Alex and Tim Porter. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Fantastic. You You guys are uh, kind of an interesting pair. You are my first husband and wife uh, duo here. Um, How does that feel, first of all? Uh, Working together. Is that uh, still married? Yeah. Still still married. As a matter of fact. Doing this about eight years now. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Pandemic. You can't leave the house and (laughs) married and working together. With with children. With with the children. Yes. Young children, as a matter of fact. Yeah. They're not going to school. They're they're staying there asking every 15 minutes, daddy. Everyone asks about work life balance. I just call it work life fusion. It's just all mixed together. I gave up that concept a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) So, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company, ModTech Labs? and kind of how it came to be. I, I think uh, a lot of people will be interested in this, actually. Absolutely. So ModTech Labs is an automated platform. We can take photos and videos and create 3D digital content. And so this content is used sort of across digital mediums, everything from 360 views all the way into augmented and virtual reality use cases and even into some of the NFT um, and 3D versions as well. So we're seeing a lot of interesting, cool use cases sort of come out of the woodworks. And we come from the XR space. So we actually ran our own augmented and virtual reality studio for five years um, prior to launching this company. And and my understanding was that was a big problem in the industry was that it's hard to do what you're trying to do. So it's not in a typical world. If I want to get a 3D model, I have to build up a 3D model. And that is very time intensive and slow and ugly and error prone and very specialized skill. But what you guys can do is take photos of a existing thing that exists in the real world, like a rock, let's say, and just take a bunch of photos of it. And now you have a rock and you don't have to do any extra stuff. 100%. Yeah, that's the biggest thing when you're talking about any sort of digital medium. Content creation is extremely expensive. Uh, and that was one of the big things that we ran in as we were running Underminer Studios, which was the last company we were at, uh, is that we would work for major corporations, people like Intel, Microsoft, KPMG, and things like that. And they would come to us and they'd be like, hey, can you guys do this really cool project? And as we continued doing bigger and cooler projects, not necessarily did the budgets get bigger. We got more marketing potential. At one point in time, almost about six months, we were the uh, the actual YouTube ad for Intel. So we were like, you know, us talking and everything like that. And it's all, it's all popping up. It was great. Um, but obviously, you know, the biggest thing when you're talking about project is bigger, but the budget isn't bigger. That mm-hmm. means that you're starting to cut in. So we started making more and more tools. And that goes to my background was building automated tools and things like that. And so, so can, on we, can we talk about XR? Can you talk about the difference between AR and VR just so that everyone, cause not everyone who's listening is going to be up on all these terms. So I think it's useful just a, a brief primer uh, a lot of acronyms. <laughs> you want me to do it? You yeah, sure. Do it Whatever. Whatever. Either Go way. for it. Sure. Um, so <laughs> the scale of immersion is the way that you think of the difference between AR, VR, and everything in between. So XR is this combination term of all of these new styles of ways that people can interact with 3D and digital content. Uh, AR is typically, and you see this with your cell phone, it's like a sticker. It's like Pokemon Go. 
over the world. Uh, so you end up getting the understanding, very little understanding of the real world space. Mm. You basically, you're, you're being invited to the space. While on the flip side, you have VR. VR is entirely immersive. You live in the space. You're entirely immersed into the space. And then you end up getting places in between the two of them where you start questioning what is reality. You get like MR, which is merge or mixed reality, depending on which side of the coin, if you're on a Microsoft or Intel side of the coin. Um, and that is the environment knows everything about you and you know everything about the environment. So you could have a character that runs behind a screen and in front of a screen and, and you could play with it, throw things at it, and it would react and interact as if it lived with you and as if the world was part and you were part of that world mm -hmm. at the same time. So one of the things I thought it was very cool about your tech, and I had not seen up until that point, was this idea of 3D volumetric photogrammetry as a movie. Mm -hmm. not as a not as a standalone object because what i think most people are thinking of when they think of building up a 3d model is i build up a model and then i can spin around the model or whatever but what if the model isn't a model what if it's an action what if it's more like a train that's moving with all its intricacies of its engine or whatever or what if it's a child playing or something like where it's very dynamic a lot of things happening like there's ways to build up models using you know you put little balls on people's you know wrists as they run around or whatever, and you kind of build up a stick frame and then kind of overlay your existing model. But this is much more accurate because it actually looks like them. It's got their all of their you know pores and you know their hair and all of that stuff. Like, I think the the cool part is that you can make it an actual movie. You can actually rewind mm -hmm. the part where they jumped and like, okay, how do we model this exact part of this movie and make that thing the the focal point or actually rotate the camera to a better angle and actually capture them in a different position than the camera was not, wasn't naturally built to be in that position. Yeah. Volumetric video is really fascinating. It's definitely still early days. Um, it also could be called videogrammetry, right? Mm -hmm. So we look at it as videogrammetry. So you're taking uh, images from all around videos from all around of a performance. And so this is an on demand style performance. So you're capturing an action, a movement, a performance, and then playing it back. So we we are primarily that on-demand versus real-time um, in this sort of performance level. But what it really gets you is that human realism, which is really hard to achieve with any type of modeling or any type of sort of artistic human form. Um, you get micro and macro expressions, the flushing and the lines of the human face that we are all very, very perceptive and understand clearly you know, you could even tell on someone who's had a lot of Botox or potentially some other facial work, hmm. oh, that their face doesn't quite react like normal. Um, and we are very, very attuned to that um, with virtual beings as well. I'll have you know I have no Botox whatsoever. So this is all natural. That's the way to do it. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, I mean, from your perspective, I know this is kind of a super cheeseball question, but like, how far do you think we are away from things like the holodeck, right? I mean, because all of this is really going down to you maybe have to wear something in your head, but which is pretty clunky. Mm -hmm. But how far do you think it is going to be till we have something maybe that we can't necessarily touch? I'm willing to give that one up. But so it, it looks realistic from my perspective in all the ways it passes the uncanny valley. Um, I can't tell that I'm in this virtual world except for the fact that I know there's an exit. Yeah. So if you're talking about being able to walk through a space like that, we're talking about two years. If you're able to 
stand outside of a space and look inward, that's right now. Hmm. So there are a couple of different places and they're called caves, uh, which are like doing VR, except for it's projected on the surface and there's all of this holographic projection that can happen. Uh, and these entire experiences are to the naked eye and, and even to many professionals indistinguishable from the real world. Mm -hmm. A good friend of mine was involved in the Harry Potter um, uh, performance or whatever the, 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 the um, exhibition, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know that they built in a lot of the um, projection mapping stuff mm -hmm. into that um, based on my recommendation, actually, like you should do this because <laughs> I think it's going to look, turn out really good. And apparently yeah. they did. Yeah. And the idea is you actually are mapping something that's truly 3D with something something that's 2D on top of that mm -hmm. thing. Do you think that's where it's, everything's going? Do you think that's where we're, we're heading is a lot of you have to actually build up a 3D thing and project on top of it? Or do you think we're actually going to get to the point where something can detect where my eyes are and where I'm looking and decide that this is the thing this eye should be seeing? Or where, we, where is that tech going? We think? have tech at this point that can detect where people are looking and things like that. The biggest thing is being able to project into a three-dimensional space and then uh, deal with beaming technology so that when you look into that area, that all of the different angles are played at the same time. But some of the advancements that we're seeing in like NERFs, if anybody watched NVIDIA with uh, their conference that came out, they did what's called Instant NERF, which is a massive advancement on this about two-year-old technology. Um, it allows for the segmentation of any of the different planes of three-dimensional existence. And so when you're talking about being able to reproject these objects into full three dimensions, you, you have the segmentations already all ready to go, uh, then being able to play them back to where as you're walking around in this projector is happening and based on the vision, it all feeds back in at the same time. Having multiple of those, you know, then you're talking about lots more projectors or mm -hmm. maybe there's a much better beaming or or. or bouncing I mean, we, we already technology. have technology lasers that can inject audio into your yes. into your ear it seems like something quite similar to that that's i mean really that's what a you know any sort of monitor is doing is it's it's blasting your eyes with with radiation it's just visual radiation you know <laughs> we don't we don't die from it kind of thing but uh it seems like that that's doable where we would have some very specific set of beaming going on into any individual eye at a very specific frequency, a very specific rate from a specific direction and give us whatever perspective we want. I'm just trying to figure out where this is all going. You know, where is that? Is that where we're going? Or is it, I'm going to have something on my head or is it implanting in my brain or? <laughs> there have been yes. tests and beaming into people's eyes and mm -hmm. it's caused some issues. Mm -hmm. So somebody's going to have to advance that technology a whole bunch or we're going to have mm -hmm. a bunch of blind people. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's not. There good, is but. some movement in the, uh, the lens space. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. contact lenses. Um, that can allow you to do augmented reality and see sort of that that uh, interactive world, if you will, um, which to, to me feels overwhelming. I don't want that in my eye, mm. <laughs> personally. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting use cases. There's a wide variety of ways to implement this so that we're not just inundated with advertisements every place we go, mm -hmm. right? If, it's, if there's a functional mm -hmm. use case, if it's a training uh, you know, opportunity, if it's a way to really engage or communicate more effectively with other people, that's a very different scenario in my mind than just sort of being bombarded with or, or perhaps the safety stuff that happens. Like, you know, you're about to dig up a, you know, some sort of electrical system or you probably should dig here or yes. you're about to cross the road, but there's a bus coming or, you know, there could be all kinds of interesting applications for kids mm. yes. preventing them from doing potentially very dangerous things like this person isn't on your list to pick you up you know, mm -hmm. or stuff like that oh yeah that's helpful there has been some uh 
advancements in construction technology to be able to utilize things like HoloLens and, and stuff like that to be yeah, able I've, to see. I've seen some of that, yeah. And they, they've been quite successful, um, but they fail in all the ways that you would expect. Uh, you know, they have to be connected to the internet. They have to be able to get data across. They have to be able to, uh, you know, have GPS tracking. They have to be able to um, be able to visualize a whole bunch of different types of data with very limited input capabilities. Mm. And so I think most of the advancements to create realism are going to be less on the visual quality and things like that. And they're going to go more towards how do we interact with the systems? Because when you start having bad interactions then you lose that whole immersion thing. And then, you know, if you remember Nintendo, they always had really great and amazing games and people were massively immersed in them. Now the visual quality never matched what PlayStation could do. People didn't care. Mm. They really did enjoy and were further immersed, but it was a better interactive experience. So have you guys seen, uh, there's some videos out there uh, where they have uh, holographic concerts. Mm -hmm. um, um, Hatsune Miku in Japan, which is actually just a vocal pack. It's like a Vocaloid vocal pack that they try to sell. But as part of their marketing, I guess they decided to build this 3D model. Have you, have you seen this? I don't know what I'm talking about. Virtual influencers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They've actually managed to create a fully three-dimensional looking from the audience's mm -hmm. perspective um, virtual character who's singing songs that no person has ever sang ever um they just record whatever notes that they want and whatever lyrics they want and suddenly you have uh a performance that it is sold out in japan like this is not a little thing um have, have you seen anything like that do you think that that is sort of the way things are going where we're going to have more virtual performances less real people doing things like i get in this conversation all the time and I, I really feel like people are not understanding that this is becoming like a freight train. There's oh, all yeah. these virtual performances that are right around the corner, and that's really going to degrade the real performances, oh, yeah. both in terms of quality, but also cost. just cost. Yeah, I think it's going to drive down cost. I think the insurance just dealing with, you know, someone going up in 20 years, they, they had a great career, everything's fine, and all of a sudden they go up on stage and they slap a comedian, you know? Like, mm. everything is fine, and you can't predict that that's going to happen. So why not just take the actor or the musician or the performer in general out of the equation, still make something that's palatable and interesting for the audience, or maybe even more visually interesting, because they can do things that humans can't do, and de-risk the whole thing from an from a entrepreneurial perspective. That seems way better. 100%. I mean, you remember Dave Grohl when he broke his leg? That cost millions of dollars. Uh, it's a massive cost. But as far as technology goes, you're 100% on there. NVIDIA released uh, a face animation based on voice. So as you start to talk, it starts doing the animation that's on that. Uh, as well, uh, they have their metahumans, which, uh, you know, I, I challenge anybody from a distance to be able to tell the difference between the two of them. And they've also allowed for people to scan people into it. So it's a metahuman, so it's a pre-created creature that can talk and walk and do all of this fun stuff. And then now they're letting you be able to scan someone's head and then put that on it and then actually mm -hmm. does all of this stuff. Um, I mean, I'm so taking I'm taking the human out of it completely oh, if, no. I, if I'm running that company, because yeah. if I yeah. if I have somebody who's known to be a pedophile suddenly, yeah. like I, I, I use Kevin Spacey, great face, everyone yeah. likes him, everyone knows him. And all of a sudden it turns out he's, you know, doing some stuff he shouldn't be doing mm -hmm. behind the scenes. Not that I don't like Kevin Spacey plenty for his acting skills, but I don't want that risk if I'm an entrepreneur, if I'm a studio, just like, ah, like what? Why not just go for the virtual route, mm -hmm. especially if it can be visually close to a human? 
Hmm? Well, I don't think we're there with a visually mm-hmm. close to a human yet. I don't think we're close enough to completely cut I agree. humans out of yet. the scenario yet. <laughs> yet. Um, obviously, you know, there's, you know, deep fakes, but we even saw this during COVID, right? Actual physical production was not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what took place in that um, primarily was uh, actual like on location um, productions, right? People were filming from home. We all saw the quality of those. Um, questionable. And then we saw a ton of uptick in animation. There were actually things that were slated to be um, real life, real action um, that were actually transitioned into animation, specifically because they could not get the, you know, people together to do the filming. And so I think there's always going to be a little bit of everything, right? I'm I'm a big fan of the idea that we're going to have something... (laughs) more along the lines of sort of a combination of mediums, right? We're going to have stylized, we're going to have traditional animation, we're going to have real world, you know, human, uh, you know, digitized. There's going to be a massive like swath of things that are. I think for a while that is absolutely true. But long term, I'm just, I'm looking at the studios and and they're throwing millions of dollars, millions of dollars Mm -hmm. at their lead performers but it doesn't. It's not going to cost that much to build a digital version of of, of a person, in Agreed. my opinion. Nowhere near that. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe a hundred thousand or something. Like literally an order of magnitude cheaper. Yep. And you don't have any of the downside risk, which yeah. I just, from an economics perspective, that seems like a no brainer to me. Hundred percent, actually. Uh, so, uh, so I how far up... away do you think we are? Oh, timelines. <laughs> yeah, um, like I know. I know you don't think it's today. I, I agree. But yeah. What what what's your feeling on the timing of that? Eight months, a year. Really, that close? Yeah. I, I think it's further away. I think you it's do. further away. I don't think we're going to be able to cut humans out of the equation that quickly. Well, we're making a digital version of them. I don't see why not. That that gets into a whole other list of rights to use digital presence of existing humans. Mm-hmm. That is, a, yeah. But but let's take the human out of it, the real human yeah. out of it. Let's mm-hmm. build up a model that simulacrum of a human mm-hmm. or based yeah. on thousands of humans. Yeah, there might be some horrible person in the middle of that, but yeah. no one would ever know. Oh, no. What do yeah. you think? I'm like, I see five to 10 years probably, to be honest, because Mm -hmm. I think that it's going to be a transition of, you know, the things that we know now, right? We have how many generations alive today, right? Mm -hmm. Five generations Mm -hmm. is where we're at, I think six. Um, And so the reality is, you know, the oldest generation is not going to let go of what they already know. Um, I think it's going to have to be sort of a phase out approach and it's just going to become normalized for younger generation. And so as they enter the workplace, that's where it's going to begin really oh i don't mean it would be like completely gotten rid of i meant more like capable like where we will have the tech um necessary to do this i think within the next several months you'll end up seeing in training and simulations these entirely fake individuals that look very realistic and then moving towards entertainment because entertainment is going to end up being a longer tail um i see within 100 percent within the year wow generative humans yeah absolutely it's already happening correct you, you also agree within a year? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm like, the yeah. tech is there. The adoption is yeah. not. You're seeing extras <laughs> going away already, and they're using generative mm-hmm. extras, using what I'm talking about with the metahumans that you're seeing from Epic. Wow. Yeah. So it is already occurring. Oh, yeah. All right, Chris, I uh, feel like you owe me a beer out there. Uh, all right. Um, I've been asking a lot of people about this, so I'm, I'm glad I got some some authoritative <laughs> All right. Um, so let's talk about the limits of uh, specifically the glasses in particular, because this is seems like this is really like where things are sort of stagnating right now in terms of uh, people's adoption of it. Everyone's mm-hmm. got these Oculus Rips or 
um, whatever the Microsoft HoloLens or whatever, whatever version of the Galaxy, they're putting a phone on their face, <clears throat> literally putting a phone mm-hmm. on their face, which just blows me away. Um, so and several other people too. Yeah, well, okay. physically. Um, <laughs> so, what, what is the? What do you think that the issues are? Um, so, for instance, like capturing and rendering, I think is, is straight in your wheelhouse. Like, where, where are the issues there? <laughs> I can go first. Um, so, when you're talking about being able to get data easy enough, there, so you're you have a chicken and egg kind of situation when you're dealing with XR headsets. You have uh, you know ones that are tethered, and you have ones that are not tethered. You have these all in ones. Um, the problem that you would expect is you know as you've gone away from being plugged into a computer, you start losing horsepower. And so you end up having to optimize things as things are going along. And then, uh, you know, the headset. And so in saying, what way? What, what kind oh, of optimizations? Oh, exactly. Uh, so, you know, if you think about if you have a headset as the same amount of power as the cell phone that's in your pocket, for it to go ahead and render the experience, first it needs to go ahead and see where your head is in three-dimensional space. So you're moving your head up, down, left, and right, and you can walk forward and you can walk backwards. As well, it's also rendering the image twice. So you have a left eye and a right eye, and then ends up rendering that to a single image and then place it to GPU so that you can showcase it. Uh, and then the very last thing is having the assets that actually live in the scene. Uh, so by the time it gets all the way from you know A to Z, you've already lost about 30% of all the capability in your system just to be able to run the experience itself. And then you get to go ahead and start running these, these actual assets. So if you can see a game on your phone, you're like, wow, that's really amazing. Now take one of the legs, put a weight on it, and then you get what you can do in, in XR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. then there's the other physical limitations. Um, so it's one size fits all, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. So humans are built differently. There's something called interpupillary distance. So our pupils are actually spaced differently. And this does boil down to uh, lineage, racial heritage in some cases, um, your sex, or your age, right? If you're a small human, under 13, it's actually not recommended for you to wear VR headsets. Interesting. Um, I didn't they're, know that. They're, just because their eyes are not quite wide enough yet. Correct. In, mm. in part. In part. And so there's a massive amount of flexibility that is not built into these systems to accommodate for literally different head shapes and sizes. Um, and not to mention, you know, actual eye distance. And so that in and of itself is a problem. Um, and that is part of what causes uh, VR sickness, right? A lot of times uh, people that have experienced this are very put off by it and they want nothing to do with it. However, most people have a positive experience with augmented reality, right? Typically, the vast majority of us have used it in some way, shape or form on our phone or our tablet, whether it's projecting, you know, an Amazon couch into our space to see what it looks like. Sure. Or if you're playing Pokemon Go, you know, there's a wide variety of use cases. As, as I'm known to do. Absolutely. <laughs> Got to get them all. Um, <laughs> Pokemon. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but I mean, there's a massive opportunity, right, for for this to be iterated upon. Mm-hmm. Um, and that hasn't been a focus. It's at, and up until this point, uh, part of it is sourcing as well. How do you source all the hardware pieces and parts? It's challenging. It's a challenging market for that. One other thing I've noticed a lot is that it doesn't seem to wrap around and give you the full 3D experience. It's sort of cut off, especially HoloLens is like really narrow for some yep. reason, um, which I think is a very bizarre design choice to go live with that. 
137 degrees is about the average, uh, so it doesn't mm -hmm. go all the way out. And that it can should be more like 180, sick. right? It's Correct. You can get a little bit lower than that. Um, but if you really want a really good experience, like 210, because of the way light bounces on the sides, ends up helping. And actually, there was a... Interesting. Uh, even at, beyond your normal visual even range. Even beyond your visual range. And that's because mm -hmm. even though you <clears throat> cannot see and you physically can't see back there because the way light bounces from behind... You can still perceive that. And we actually uh, saw that uh, there was a, at CES, there was a company that was making how to save people from simulation sickness. And that's exactly what they're doing is they're putting lights and it matched the lights that was happening in that. And it made nobody sick after that. It was really, really, really effective. But I actually have a really interesting story about simulation sickness and somebody requesting us to do that if you'd like me to tell. Okay. <laughs> it's already open. It's already open. This is wacky. Yeah. So I was uh, I was working on a project, and this was uh, for a new cancer drug that was going to come out. Don't ask why they were asking an XR company to go ahead and do that, but it was like entertainment training combination thing, and I'm like, sure, okay. And um, the the script was you're out in space, and then this uh, asteroid flies by, and you're like, wow, that's so wonderful, and then you're going to fly into earth. So immediately I'm looking at that and there's like, you know, 12, 13 laws that you don't break in, in XR to make people not sick. And I was like, okay, so we're going to make this nice and calm. And then we're just going to kind of take him down to earth and put him in. And then I get a, on the call with the producer and he was like, you know, he gave me an Earl Grey and you know what I want? I want a beer with a whiskey back, make it happen. I was like, but you're going to make somebody sick. <laughs> and it was like, no, I don't think you understand whiskey back. And I was like, all right, dude. And so I do everything I can. I take it and I, I, I literally do anamorphic lenses. So lens flare, it looks like JJ Abrams, like just like <laughs> all over this whole thing. Like, and, uh, the story we got back, uh, was, could you put it back to the way it was? And I was like, <laughs> so no, 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 this is not how this works. What happened? And it was like, so our RPM went home sick. And I was like, could you describe what happened? She said she felt like she uh, she had food poisoning. I said, that was simulation sickness. We talked about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, ne never want to whiskey back people. Like, right. don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Well, so what are some of the strategies in removing that? I mean, I know that's a. I, I certainly get it when I even just trying to play normal 3D video games, uh, first person shooters, I already get mm. that. And, and one of the reasons I think that is the case is because they can't predict how far I am away from the screen. So they always project it the same mm -hmm. size, whatever that size is. But it's sort of like looking through a window. You're not always looking through the window and seeing the world the way it is. As you move forward and backwards, the world is changing. But it's a window that never changes, and it makes me very ill to watch that, especially because yep. I'm not moving with it. My inner ear isn't moving, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, what are what are your thoughts about it? like how how did what are some tricks or whatever? Sure, yeah. And so I actually helped write some of the standards that were around this. Uh, we're part of uh, CTA, which is Consumer Technology Association. I'm the chair for the XR group, uh, and we wrote many of the different standards. Things like. Um, you know, never try to break the vestibular feedback loop, but just like you're saying, your inner ear doesn't feed with the same kind of experience. So, you know, as somebody walks forward and walks back and looks left and right, their vision needs to match up. Um, never push anybody in, in many of the different laws and groups and things that come out of movies help. Um, you know, if you're going to cut, you want to cut and fade to black. You bring people up. 
Uh, you don't want to do things like moving the chair underneath them unless the chair underneath them physically moves in real life. Because as soon as you move the headset, then you break that experience. Um, there's also things like oversaturation of color. So if you have way too bright colors or changes in color that are too much, the intensity can make a lot of people very sick. Uh, the other thing, and this is something that uh, can help with it, um, is sound. So if you have sound, especially ambisonic sound, you can make it to where it guides people to, okay, I want somebody to turn to the right. Let's start making a sound that was over on that side, and then they can guide themselves towards going that direction. Because the last thing you want is something like jumping over your shoulder, and you've already lost, like we talked about, most of your field of view because of these headsets, and then you're you know quickly moving, and that makes people sick. So a lot of nothing really jolty movement, things like that. One thing, I, one thing I find as these uh, video games get better and better is mm -hmm. when they have little bugs, it gets creepier and creepier. Like once upon a time, a bug would happen. You're like, oh, my sprite moved halfway yeah. across or whatever. But now it's like people half embedded in tables. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's like very <laughs> creepy looking and and pretty realistic on top of it. You're like, I mean, that that's going to give me a nightmares, you know, <laughs> and that's a, and they're trying to talk to me as they're embedded in a table. Whoa. What's going on? <laughs> Alex, you want to talk about the Slack channel we have? The Slack channel? The Slack channel of broken things. Oh, yes. Yes. We have a Slack channel of broken things of all the terrible, <laughs> odd, horrific things that we've created in 3D that just did not work for one reason or another or many reasons. Um, the other thing I was going to say is you can also, you can also retrain your brain. Um, so mm -hmm. using VR specifically is what I'm talking about here. Um, I actually have a lot of motion sickness. I have my entire life. Um, and I was really very concerned about being the, the tester <laughs> for, for our projects. Um, but one of the early projects that we did in our, our VR days, um, is actually a, system specifically geared toward fears and phobias. And so it was a gradated, levelized um, exposure therapy style. Um, so you're you're exposed directly to the thing you're afraid of and you do it in steps to overcome this, this fear or phobia. So level one was very cartoony. Level two was a little bit more realistic and then it all went up all the way to level five. So level five was photorealism. That's when we started really getting into photogrammetry, volumetric video and, and started creating the foundations for what became Montec Labs. Mm -hmm. um, but going through and actually repetitively, uh, frequently repeating this training of being in this space, having this fear of heights, having that sickness in the VR simulation, I was actually able to overcome that. So either I've seen this before mm -hmm. myself using your exact tech or someone build an exact yeah. version of this. Yeah. Because um, I was at a conference and uh, they said, "Do you have any phobias?" You know, they kind of, you know, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, "Okay, well, let's let's play this game." So I gave them heights, and uh, which I actually do have a bit of fear of heights. So I'm like, "Okay, let's try it." And uh, they put the goggles on, and I was on suddenly on the top of a building, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I was pretty far away from the edge. And uh, so this is like this is their lowest setting, right? You know, mm -hmm. and I'm like, "Well, that's uh, that's that's actually pretty far down. I can I can actually get the sensation <laughs> of it. like, okay, we'll we'll move you up to level three or whatever." And now I'm like pretty close to the edge. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's actually pretty, pretty intense already. I can tell mm -hmm. if you, and now like they'll put you like on the edge, you know, mm -hmm. where your, your feet can like kind of dangle off the edge or whatever. And then they kind of deliver you to a safe space afterwards, like this mm -hmm. meadow or whatever. So you kind of feel like you're nice and relaxed and you know, it's wide open spaces kind of thing. No agoraphobia or any other phobias you might have. Yep. 
So I think that actually has a lot of promise, like yeah. a lot yeah. of promise, but for all kinds of phobias, yes. like Agreed. phobias of snakes or spiders or heights or claustrophobia or all yeah. kinds of things. Well, almost three fourths of phobias are actually self-treatable as well. Mm -hmm. So you could send somebody through an experience like this, fear of spiders, fear of heights, things like that, and you wouldn't need a doctor to go ahead and, and actually deal with that. But what is the number one phobia? Speaking in front of uh, people, which mm -hmm. which actually falls exactly into your wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah. So if you could create an audience of people I know, mm -hmm. which would be mm -hmm. even better, that I would expect to see in the audience and a bunch of randoms that you can kind of throw in there, <laughs> that makes it extremely hard for me to feel like that's not real. Well, I mean, half of it, they always tell you, like, envision people naked. I'm like, it's all the people you know. That just makes it worse. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different setting. That's a different... <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, but resolution is another big problem with these yeah. VR headsets. So I think we should probably talk about that first because I, when, a lot of people will say it's very immersive and I agree, but I also am not lost in it. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm there. I feel mm -hmm. like I am watching a cartoon that's yep. pretty real, but it's a cartoon still. Yep. Uh, where is that going? How long is it going to take for that's like, I'm, I'm sitting in a, cafe in France sipping a, you know, mochaccino or whatever. So you see a lot of this in uh, like virtual production. Uh, you see this technology and, and basically what they do is they, they beam the experience to the headset and it's actually being processed on, you know, big honking machine. Um, and so, you know, typically you see stuff like that where it either goes from like these very small use cases and then, you know, it'll start to trickle down. I see probably within the next four years, five years that, you know, having an all-in-one headset, it'll have that quality. I really think most of it will actually come down to uh, the actual quality of the lenses first off as well. Uh, they have, uh, you know, really piss poor lenses. Uh, you end up getting the halos around the side. And then as well, you have like screen door effect because the pixel isn't high enough. Mm -hmm. As soon as they start bringing that, that's about half of it, tell you the truth. I saw one uh, project, I think it got killed, uh, that Facebook was thinking about building where they had um, a, basically a ball with a bunch of lenses around this ball. But mm -hmm. the ball was approximately the width of human eyes. And mm -hmm. it was just a bunch of lenses that stitched stuff together. So you could theoretically put this inside of a cafe somewhere in France and suddenly mm -hmm. I'm immediately transported there because it's any direction I look, I mean, I'm not allowed to move up or down or right or left. Mm -hmm. I'm just stuck in this torso that's, you know, immovable, but I could theoretically write a paper or do something else. As long as you could add a little bit of augmented reality on top of it. I think there's something to that, that we just really haven't tapped into exactly. We're, we're close, but we haven't quite done it. There is. And, and, uh, some of the stuff we actually talked about is, uh, the successor of that. So what you're talking about is light field technology. So mm -hmm. light field technology has that and you can do a little bit of movement, like you said, not really a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. uh, the succession move, move of your that, head, but you can't. Yeah. you can't jump it down. You can't jump you up can't and leave down. To go to the restroom. You can't really do too much. <laughs> things like that. Yeah. Uh, so the succession of that would be nerves, uh, and so those are neural radiance fields, uh, and that allows you to be able to view any object or any world just like that, where it's fully three dimensional. It looks like photos. What it does is it's a subset of what's called view synthesis. View synthesis. You take a photo and one area and then a photo in another area and a machine learning algorithm goes, oh, well, that's what it would look like if you looked here. Mm -hmm. And it does that over the entire object. And then there are ones that are underneath that, <clears> things like nerfies. So nerfies are that same thing, but in motion, you can see an entire person talk and walk and it is absolutely looks just like real. The drawback is um, that is eight giant Tesla GPUs running for two weeks for about five seconds worth of video. Got it, <laughs> got it. 
Yeah, another version of this that I find quite off-putting that Hollywood keeps doing is a uh, 3D video. Um, mm. And <clears throat> the problem is the the producer has a great idea of what they want you to be looking mm -hmm. at. They're like, oh, this guy's jumping off the cliff or whatever. But I'm kind of curious what's going on with the car in the background. But my eyes are not allowed to look at it because it's it's out of focus. Now, we normally have this problem with uh, just traditional 2D, 2D video. There's no, there's no difference there except for this is supposed to feel real. So right. suddenly I'm just thrust in this strange world where my brain can't process what's going on instead of what I'm, I guess I'm just used to, which is this 3D video where it's, it's more, like a, more like a piece of paper or something where it might be out of focus, but only because what's written on is out of focus. It's a strange, strange effect. Have you, have you seen this? You know what I'm talking about? I've seen it, and I've seen a couple of white papers that are very specifically to set that. It's, uh, there's fovated rendering, which is a subsect in view synthesis as well, where it allows the end user, and you can do this basically with your mouse. Hmm. And so you can move around and you can change what's happening and where the focus is. If you add on top of that eye gaze direction, cool. It's exactly what you want. That's exactly what I want. Yeah. So so it seems like there should be um, infinite length focal, infinite mm -hmm. focal length cameras uh, set up side by side to get the 3D effect or or ideally that, uh, that ball thing I was talking about. So mm -hmm. you look in every direction and you can look at infinite depth as long as it's tracking your eye, it knows you're trying to look and it knows what direction you're looking. So you would have that full experience and you can have this Marvel movie with all this crazy stuff happening all around you with that weird, without that weird sense of it being a video and not mm -hmm. having no, n not really being there. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, the moral of the story to all of this is that consumer tech sucks. <laughs> it's <laughs> it it's like really, really far behind from the consumer experience that we want mm -hmm. at home on our devices um, but we're, you know, we are seeing it move up in the world, right, in production, um, in higher end, higher budget um, ways. We are seeing those iterations. Um, so I do think eventually it will trickle down, but but it is to some extent um, limiting because of the hardware, you know, stops that we have. And that that's everything from our phones to the chips that we have a shortage on to, you know, actually allocating the the minerals and the materials to make the hardware that we use um, to to process and play back these oh, things. Like helium. Shortage. Like helium. Oh, who needs that? Um, <laughs> Not the Ukrainians. Everybody. So um, <laughs> there's a bunch of different problems. Um, we talked about motion sickness being mm -hmm. one of them. Uh, accidental collisions, and I think, is another very big one that happens quite often. People mm -hmm. run into the wall. They run into their computer. They run into their kids. Um, make for great videos. They do make for great videos, <laughs> but it's but I think it's it's one of those things where you, you could quite easily end up walking off a cliff or right. whatever without really realizing what's going on because there is no real sense of the world when you're in these things and the, mm -hmm. and these things aren't protecting you. Uh, they're just you're just sort of on your own. Yeah, you have things like guardians that help out, and I can tell you some virtual productions have dropped using all enclosed headsets because of this. Mm -hmm. You get somebody who tripped over a cable or a cord. It's a huge liability. You're talking about a director breaks the nose. Mm -hmm. You're not using that gear again. There right. are actually collision barriers that you can put into these experiences yeah. that should be used. Um, but then there's, you know, oh, well, which that... works great until your cat's there. Well, you know? Yeah. Also, yeah. A hundred percent. You know, tell I mean, us more. This sounds like a story you have. <laughs> I like Please continue. You didn't have. <laughs> you, you know, what I'm saying like this, this is the kind of problem. Night. Like all these True. things are sound great on paper. Your Roomba goes underneath you, and then yep. you just die. Mm -hmm. uh, like. All of that stuff sounds really great, but I just, it's not what I think it would, it should be, mm -hmm. um, or even needs to be, to be even vaguely what I'd consider to be safe. Um, 
Agreed. I, you know, I mean, I think we're getting a little bit closer to the opportunity to put in those safety measures, right? Headsets now have outward facing cameras. That means that you can have a, you know, a view to some extent of the real world. Um, and you can actually do some tracking and some understanding of what's happening there. Whether or not that's being built into experiences, questionable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, well, and what happens behind cat. you? Please don't kill that. You, right? lose your you lose the game if you kick your cat, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think they sell that in the Steam store. Oh, yeah, it's good. Like $100, You're don't good. kick the cat. Um, another big problem is information overload. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people are just not prepared for this. They live a pretty dull life sitting there yeah. at their desk all day, and all of a sudden they're thrust into this very robust experience with all the stuff going on and it can be quite overwhelming uh point where people will actually actually have seizures in some cases mm -hmm. or all kinds of other things just purely based on the information um the intensification of experience so you could have yeah. a normal experience conversation like this but it can be it can be much more immersive and um for a certain a cohort of people, they're going to mm -hmm. find that to be overwhelming mm -hmm. and um, think of the truly mentally ill or the elderly or children or whatever who don't quite have the normal grasp on reality that we do and can't separate that this isn't really happening um, yeah. they, or on drugs. Um, yeah. Like they might be fine one minute, but then, you know, the whatever they took, you know, kicks in and all of a sudden this is a much different experience. Mm -hmm. Um there's really no safeguards around that sort of thing. Um, we have like age verification on some apps, let's say, sure. but not age verification for the equipment. You know what I mean? Like kids are still going to be able to throw that on and start playing games or whatever. I, I think this is the the same thing we've seen generation by generation by generation. You know, there were there were people that were afraid of having you know women go on trains or it would cause miscarriages. Let's let's be honest. Every single generation has looked at technology and gone, "Wow, this is something different than what I know." What is this going to do to people? And I, you know, I think that's it's a fair question to ask. I think it's something fair for all of us to kind of sit down and go, "Wow, you know, we, let's let's put some some you know things like maybe we don't show naughty material on TV in the middle of the day." Well, duh, you know, kids are home. That's stupid. Don't do that. So, Same concept. So the one that I'm probably most concerned about because I think it has the most effect sure. uh, globally. I think all of those are kind of interesting. This motion sickness is important, but not, yeah. uh, not going to change not the world. Not going to hurt anybody. Is the concept of super realism. So when we get to the point where this really, when your tech is good enough yeah. that you can make me believe that you're sitting across the room, but you're not really there. And I'm actually having a real, you know, friendship or relationship with these people or, you know, I actually am a cyborg and I actually do have superpowers and this is my actual life. And I never really leave this place. I can go over to the fridge because it's built into this thing and I can eat my my power ups or whatever, which is required to continue the game. And I can stay in game and I can really believe that I am this superhero with all these superpowers or that whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think I mean, there's been a bunch of Hollywood movies about this kind of concept where people just aren't sure what's real or not. And, mm -hmm. and I think. I think the exit's a little easier to build than most people realize, mm -hmm. unless you're even vaguely mentally unstable. Yeah. Uh, and then it gets a lot harder to know what's real and what's not real. And I've, I've, I don't know if you've ever met anyone with like severe bipolar disorder, but they're hanging on by a thread as it is. Um, even with medications, it's pretty on the edge. Like I, I think that this actually could be a real problem for a certain group of people who just they don't even necessarily know they have the problem either. Mm. 
uh, just they really truly truly believe. This is a conversation I had with somebody, a real conversation. Uh, this woman believed that uh, Amazon um, videos were speaking to her, and they were aliens, and they were coming to get her. They're not. Uh, and they were speaking through specifically through Amazon Prime's website, uh, through, through the Prime in particular. It was Prime movies. It's, all, um, it's only the Prime one, so yeah. it's not it's not, it's not <laughs> any of the other ones. Wow, that's a very specific. Like, but, how but, do you treat that? But I, <laughs> drugs, lots of medication. Um, but but she wouldn't necessarily know that this was happening, and right. this is a real problem. Like, yeah. it, you know, you don't want this person yeah. driving a car, let alone really truly believing and getting into this thing yeah. and believing now that she has superpowers or whatever. And, True. Um, yeah, I watch a whole TikTok on a guy who uh, doesn't know that. He, people are real or not real and he uses his cell phone to see if someone's real so he pulls up his camera and he's like oh if he's not in there then you know his his brain doesn't do that but you're 100 right like when you have an entire environment and and uh, you know this could be used also for training it can be used for oh, we'll talk about the positive yeah. too i i just want to get oh this no no i'm thinking negative training i'm talking about <laughs> oh, you know see, mentoring candidate level stuff uh, -huh. uh you know you find somebody semi-unstable and you you give them something to chew on you give them something that seems so real it's difficult to understand the differences between them i yeah i mean that, that, that this is, is something Timothy mcveigh's story i think is oh that, yeah is that, is that am i getting it right Close, yeah. close, but Manchurian Canada as well. I mean, that's that was you know uh, JFK and or RFK, sorry, um, and that whole kind of setup. So, yeah, the ethical boundaries are not clear. To be honest, obviously, <laughs> like we all have different opinions about where where those boundaries should be. Um, there there are none really in place that are being enforced at this point, right? Yeah. Even even you know, are there any working groups working on this or trying yeah. to think yes. through it and Absolutely. put policy? Yeah, just like a I mean, everyone opts into this policy, I would imagine, mm -hmm. but but it seems like a useful policy. Yep. So we both done work on this. Um, Tim specifically uh, w with CTA, Consumer Technology Association, the folks that um, do CES, they're also a lobbying body on the other side. They create standards, education, um, and do regulatory specifically on behalf of technologists. And so, you know, these are, you know, we're in there with large corporations. We've been working with them for the last four years, really making sure that we are helping to facilitate opportunity for education and good use cases and, and ethical boundaries and appropriate levels of technology and um, interference um, by corporations, um, et cetera. And so, you know, Tim specifically, uh, you know, led uh, the charge on the, the rules around um, XR for limited mobility that was published last year. So that's an open free document through the CTA website. And it is from a developer's perspective. So, you know, we're talking about, all these pieces and parts, right? Half of it is, you know, the experience is the hardware itself. And the other half is really the content. And so you have to be thinking about both sides of that. You know, how realistic are we going um, with both pieces? How realistic can we get with, you know, the visuals themselves based on, you know, the actual hardware and then the content, right? So myself, um, I'm leading right now, we're actually close to wrapping um, diversity and inclusion for XR. And so again, creating standards, best practices, and and we've we've talked about things that honestly hadn't really even occurred to me. So um, marital status, for instance, if you're thinking about someone who is married versus not married versus pregnant versus with children, there's like a whole you know familial like there's this whole other piece. People get you know uh, discriminated against for that piece of the world and mm. their life. I see. Um, I see. Etc. Yeah. Right. And if you're portraying someone in a specific way. Um, or they want to be portrayed in a different way, those things all have to be considered. So, I, I mean, I think if anyone's uh, listening and they don't 
see that this is coming. I think one example that we can all sort of look to and go, uh-huh, is Snapchat filters. Yep. Uh, because that is creating a lot of body dysmorphia. Yes. People are saying, oh, my eyes are to this, or my yep. head forehead is too blah, or whatever. And it's it's leading people down a path of trying to figure out, well, my body really should look like this, you know, doll or whatever, or it should be, you know, more, I should be more muscular or whatever the thing is. And they're actually uploading it. So even if you don't use those Snapchat filters, you're starting to see, oh, that's what everyone looks like. And that's what beauty looks like. And that's what people should look like. And if that's already happening and these people are not wearing VR headsets, you know, they have no yeah. you know, super realism issues going on. They just think that that's what real life looks like. Yep. I think we're we're headed down a pretty dangerous path if we're not careful. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, after so we just recently finished up the ethics in AI uh, category, and we're going to start opening up a standards around uh, metaverse, so to speak. Uh, and a major section in that is going to be uh, both AI ethics and ethics around sales and and, and especially targeting children and things like that was actually in the game industry uh, when the rules and the laws changed around being able to sell towards children and market towards it, it, children. COPPA laws in particular? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, was, I, was in, uh, I was in Canada at the time, and, and I remember having to rebuild basically everything that we had because you had to make sure that the person was not under X age when you were trying to sell to them and you were marketing towards them. Darn, that was the other way all, all up to that point. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the car, the ones before that were were uh, games for cars, like sure. the actual Cars game, you yeah. know, from Disney. Yeah. So you're selling to kids all the time. Of course you were. Of course you were. And, and that makes pl plenty of sense because of you want to turn them into consumers early. Oh, yeah. Um, so let's talk about the VR as a cure thing. I think this, sure. this is actually really, really interesting. I want to spend a little more time here. So I hadn't really thought of it until very recently as a way that you could also cure things like sexism or racism mm -hmm. or uh, ageism or whatever, where you could actually transplant your body into the body of the person who's uh, being mistreated, let's say. Mm -hmm. And you could leverage that as a, a sort of um, <clears throat> seeing it from their perspective, living a life, uh, just like living a day in their shoes exactly as they would experience the world. Have you, have you seen anything like that? Or is there anything going on like that? Absolutely. Um, there are companies actually dedicated to this. Uh, I do not recall the name off the top of my head, but I think it's, it might actually be body swap, which I was like, so on point. Um, it's perfect. <laughs> um, but ultimately, you know, what we're seeing is the opportunity to learn empathy, right? We're learning to be empathetic, exactly walking in someone else's shoes and seeing the world from their perspective. There is literally no better way to do that than actually embodying them, seeing how they, you know, see the world, how they're treated in the world and really getting sort of a, a, a taste of that firsthand. I think, I think uh, those apps are never, ever going to work because the person who is one of those things is not going to sign up for it. But, yeah. but I think if you took that same principle and you put it inside of a, a video game or whatever, where you're suddenly this other thing and you have to experience life in their shoes, it's going to have the same effect. You're going to go, wait, 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 wait. Why are you treating me like this? Like, oh, I'm a nice person. Because you're only seeing yourself from yourself. And then you look in a mirror and then you look at your skin and or whatever. Or people are treating you in a certain way and saying certain things about you. You're like, oh, geez, that's what it's like. And you'll have a very unique experience. So the dedicated apps, I'm not so pro on just because I just don't think they're going to work. But mm -hmm. I think that concept has a lot of uh, merit. That's a lot of merit. I think, uh, obviously, you could let this swing even further the other direction and 
what was it, Minority Report, where they locked him up and made them watch all the horrors and atrocities and in their shoes for like 10,000 year kind of situation. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. government control could really take this fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get more to that too in a bit. But uh but but then it also gets into more sort of creepy areas as yeah. well. Um so like child predation, for instance. Yeah. You could uh put yourself in the body of a child who's being predated upon. Um and yeah. a murder victim where you could actually experience what it's like to be murdered by this person who would normally be a murderer you know (laughs) you can actually like start trying to deprogram people by making them experience what it would be like to be their victim yeah well and and that feeds directly into what happens in your brain when you start facing a fear of phobia that same exact concept um basically as you're feeding in towards your vestibular feedback loop and your your amygdala becomes more and more desensitized for everyone that's your fight and flight response uh, then at a certain point, you end up getting oxytocin. So if you think about, you know, as a human, if you run away from a big predator and then you made it, you're like, yeah, you kind of get that feeling. You're like, rah, that rush. Mm-hmm. You know, at first is that dump of adrenaline and then it's the oxytocin. You survived. Guess what you can do? You can do bigger, better things. And so people will not even just be like, oh, that was scary. They're going to be like, I want to be murdered. Mm. I want to be murdered by this horrible person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Humans are fun, aren't we? I mean, that went sideways. <laughs> yeah, um, did it really, though? Like, it, that went, like I felt led. <laughs> well, well, I, I, did, I did put that carrot out there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am Tasty. familiar with some apps that actually are doing just that um, in the sex trafficking arena, mm-hmm. um, where they're specifically doing it as a first person. You are the victim being trafficked. Um, but it's also about recognizing the signs and the the opportunities that these predators have. And so in part, it's training and education for sort of uh, in general, like it would be targeted at, um, you know, airline staff, um, you know, travel, travel station folks, um, people that would come across these people in transit um, and hopefully be able to be able to put a stop to it, um, you know, ideally before they are out off the grid. Um, and so there's an element of training, there's an element of empathy, and then there's really, you know, I think just general education, right? I don't know all the signs and symbols of what to look for in that kind of interaction, um, but there are ways to learn. Sure. Um, and and the learning from VR is actually a much deeper, more concentrated, longer lasting type of learning because it's interactive, because it's immersive, because it's first person, whether you're learning to crank a wrench on an engine or you're learning to recognize, you know, human, you know, movement symbols for, you know, sex trafficking right there's a wide variety of things that you can learn that really imprint themselves more effectively on your psyche um, and your being yeah i i uh i tend to think that that doesn't even need to be particularly graphic you can do it with sort of cartoons and get Mm -hmm. away with it because you're really just in that case you're just trying to impart a little bit of knowledge Mm -hmm. and now you do want it to be immersive enough so they pay attention because Mm -hmm. the problem with a lot of training is it's just it's just so boring people just don't care but if it, if you actually feel like you're there even a little bit, even if it's just a cartoon, you know you can you can be inside of a cartoon. I mean that's a, that's a thing I guess. Um, that's good enough. You'd be able to you'd be able to use that as training material. Mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting. So all right, we talked a little bit about some of these different um, app uses, but I just want to name so games, mm-hmm. face swapping, uh, interior design. You mentioned uh, mm-hmm. whether your couch is going to fit, which is actually a pretty interesting use case. Uh, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is now they know what your 
uh, place looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> what are they doing with yeah, your data? Exactly. Translation apps, uh, which I think that that is actually one of the more um, warming, heartwarming things I think that we can do now is we can actually talk to one another. That's a really... NVIDIA released and in, in, in they did a whole bunch. So if anybody watched GTC, that's the reason why I'm bringing this up. It was like a couple of days ago uh, where it actually moves the mouth too. So it actually looks like they're saying it in the other language. It's amazing. And it's just like, it's all machine learning sure. over top. Yeah. So of it's course. super deep fake. Super cool though. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, improving shopping metadata. So, mm-hmm. you know, you basically, you know, take your camera, move it over a can of soup and you can say, oh, you can get it cheaper at this other store mm-hmm. or there's what the ingredients are, or this is not going to kill you because it doesn't have peanuts in it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So that here's a recipe. <clears throat> here's a recipe. Yeah, recipe. Right. Exactly. Or, you know, apply these coupons or if you buy this, you get one off or mm-hmm. whatever, all these different things you could do on top. This has already T- been done and tons. it was abused by Target oh. as a fun one. What they did was they actually raised the prices of online purchasing while you were in the store. So you could buy it maybe at Target online at like, you know, $5. But if you were within a geofence of like a store, then it was like $10, which actually matched the in-store price. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, good Target. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you do the same? Well, let's be honest. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, so... To me, AR is the killer of the two. Yeah. If, if I'm going to pick one one horse to to ride on this uh, in this race, yeah. AR seems to be the one that's just it's so universally incredibly useful for almost innumerable reasons. Yep. But um, what are what are some of the AR uh, apps that you guys are seeing that are interesting? Any anything that stand out that I mean, I'm I'm seeing all kinds of interesting, but also stupid. A lot of video games, right? Yeah. Um, but I think uh, to me, <clears throat> knowing not to dig the ground because there's something bad in the ground yep. it seems like such amazing utility. There's a there's an app called Architecture of Radio and mm-hmm. props to whoever wrote this app because it's just so neat. I think it's kind of expensive, but very cool. You can you can rotate it around in a three dimensional space and you can see where all of the radio towers are. Mm-hmm. You can see the satellites overhead and you know where all the radio signals are. And how strong they are based on where you are located in the world. So you can say, oh, I'm probably getting interference from these three satellites or from that over there or whatever. Like these are incredibly potent apps that do just maybe one or two bespoke things. But what what are you what are you guys seeing out there? I mean, I default to, you know, plant identification. <laughs> I'm like I'm like yeah. inevitably, you know, my kids are like, What's that tree, mom? And I'm like, I have yeah, that is the dogwood. No. They're all dogwoods. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> I don't what know. An oak is that a pine? No. Dog. Right. An oak of some variety. We're in Texas. I don't know. Um, and so that one's actually fun By and way, educational. The bug one is also very useful. The bug yeah. one? Yeah. Okay. So just Excellent. FYI. Yes. Um, and then, of course, I'm going to toot our own horn here and talk about our app. Um, mm-hmm. So the Mod 3D Scanner, Android and iOS, um, we use augmented reality to help guide users to take images in the right places. In the right locations. To create right. 3D assets. Because otherwise that'd be very tricky. You're like, oh, yep. kind of go in a big donut and then go a smaller donut and a smaller mm-hmm. donut. Mm-hmm. And Correct. It'd be hard to explain auditorially or even with video demos. Yes. It's just easier using AR to show them where to go. Agreed. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. there are some freeform apps out there that let you kind of do your own thing. Um, you know, results are varied. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, if you're not a professional um, scanner, you're you're not going to really understand it. So we're geared really kind of in, in between professional and completely, you know, uh, new to mm-hmm. scanning. Um, and so that we can help educate the users um, and, and really get them done quicker, faster, easier 
um, and more effectively, right? We know exactly what the pattern is. We know exactly what we're getting out of it. And so we can make that end quality significantly better, right? With the horsepower on our servers and on our systems. So one of the things that I think could be a huge boon to a number of people who are, let's say, either handicapped or just semi-retired or maybe even like basically fully retired, but they have one skill that is just super, super mm -hmm. valuable. <clears throat> It'd be great to have some AR overlay on top of whatever you're doing where this expert's whispering in your yep. ear, oh, no, don't click that yep. or don't, no, don't clip that wire or whatever. I mean... I can think of hundreds of different trade yep. trade type jobs where, or maybe even just the DIY version of it. Like I'm doing something. I, I don't want to call some repair guy all the way over to my house to tell mm -hmm. me which of X to do. Just tell me in my ear while you're watching what I'm doing or, you know, have him draw little lines. This one right here. No, this one has to go here so I can see it. And now it's sort of floating there in space. So yep. it's not going anywhere so I can hang up and it's all sort of done. Like, it seems like that kind of thing is just wildly underutilized and it could be monumentally useful. It it actually has been done. It's failed it? yeah, it was when the HoloLens first came out. So you're talking about now it's well, about no six one has years ago. Lens, so and, that's, and, that's, and that's probably <laughs> the big reason why it failed. But uh, there was a shared experience in a way that somebody who was remote could get onto Skype because, you know, Microsoft, uh, and they could see in part two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then you could see people uh, rem like in 3D, and you could do like you were saying. You could point at stuff, and then because they had the headset and they had the depth, they could see where you were pointing at and doing. But that couple of people made a project, which was it was for home repair. It was sure. the same exact thing, you know, sure. like plumbing and. and but a but minor even something electrical. much more complicated, like I'm Server working repair. on uh, true, or I'm working on an oil rig, yeah. and. Yeah. Flying somebody all the way out to this remote location might be a little cost prohibitive, uh, but I do need this problem fixed right now because people will die. This we've, is definitely this happening. <laughs> this is happening at scale um, in companies um, with for professional, high level professional use cases like that. But at home use, it's definitely not really being done effectively at this point. Especially because AR is terrible right now. It I is. mean, just no one's. I mean, other than on your phone, right? I mean, yeah. I guess that's the closest thing we've got is everyone's got a phone in their pocket so they can hold up their camera and say, mm -hmm. okay, here's what's happening. And then they could just draw on it or whatever. Yeah, we actually, uh, we've seen a couple of use cases that have come through uh, for geological study uh, where they would end up using our app to go ahead and do the initial scan. Uh, and then with augmented reality, the individual could actually look at what the object was. So if you have a geologist, geologist isn't going to go out in the field. But, you know, you could send out, you know, some young buck with a camera and takes all the photos and then uploads to servers and then that end user can end up seeing that object. So it's it's there and there's lots of parts and pieces that are there. I think the bigger thing is the mindset. The people in the, the verticals that have the money are completely diverted from solutions that are like that. So the two bigs, of course, are going to be, as always, oil and gas and entertainment. Mm -hmm. And those are the two ones that you want to see adoption oil and gas mm -hmm. runs into a obvious major issue is that a lot of their people are aging out um and that's on the geology side that's on the capture side that's everything all the way up and down um and so you know like how do we make sure that when people are drilling and, and doing things that they're doing in an ecological way and going out there with scanning tech and making sure that it's it's cheap enough and easy enough that they can't just say no nah, it was too difficult you know and then it goes out to you know, some geologists and then as well, some ecologists to make sure that they're not like, you know, killing sea turtles. That sounds like a great thing to do. 
unless you like killing sea turtles, but yes. I kicked <clears> them <throat> at least once a week. <laughs> so uh, a friend of mine, Dan Kaminsky, RIP, he just recently passed, um, invented a technology where you can actually change um, the visual spectrum so you can actually see in color or see some version of color for colorblind blind people, which is just a phenomenal app. <clears throat> it's called Dan Cam, K-A-M, uh, for Kaminsky. Um I think that type of app has a lot of promise as well for an innumerable amount of people. And once it was Google Glass, Google Glass was just not the right tech for all kinds of reasons. It was very bright. It was ugly. It was Google. Uh, it was yeah. uh, very invasive because it was always taking fo video. It was, I mean, I actually told multiple people who had them, like, you are not invited over to my house if you're wearing those things. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah, you know, I don't know what you're going to be taking photos of. It's one thing if someone has a camera in their pocket. It's a whole other thing if they're, you know, waving it around at all times where it's recording. You know, that's that's a very different experience. Being on camera right now is that does that feel different? I bet it does feel a little <laughs> different than your average everyday, which is sort of walking around town. I don't know. We know you pretty well, so I mean, this is this is this is a pretty typical sit down and talk, and yeah. usually have some maybe maybe some uh, gin or something yeah, like that exactly. with you, right? But but it is quite off-putting i think to have yeah. something like that happening but yet i think that that's where everything's going mm. i don't think it'll look like that i don't think it'll look like that at all for a number of reasons it's just very very ugly but i think what dan was on to something uh that tech i think is very very useful for a wide variety of people <clears throat> and because it can be overlaid in contact lenses let's say or just traditional glasses that just look better on people um i think that that's something we could see Definitely in the next handful of years. And I'm surprised Apple hasn't already come up with something uh, to compete with, you know, various different platforms. They're waiting for a mature market. <laughs> Apple I think, usually is. I think they will market. make the mature market is my bet. They do tend to mature technology. You're, you're correct. They, yeah. you know, they did very well with the LiDAR technology and, and now they've patents that they have. Um, actually, I, I was, uh, I was privy to a, a headset that looked um, very realistic. It was a, uh, um, something that's not quite out there yet. Um, but it looked like a regular pair of glasses. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, you would have a, a processing device in your pocket. And so it's not like a hollow lens or anything like that, but like I was, I was very blown away that I was like, Oh, this is something I, I wouldn't mind wearing mm -hmm. out. Sure. You know? So one thing, uh, the marriage of VR and AR, I think was kind of interesting is the, uh, the, um, Avatar set, uh, Avatar 2, when they're doing filming, uh, they've already decided that, you know, some characters are going to be running through a forest or whatever. And they have this sort of like iPad looking thing mm -hmm. in this big room with all these sort of sensors all over the room. So they know exactly where this iPad is at all times and various different sort of camera aperture mm -hmm. and, you know, lenses or whatever, um, joysticks sitting on either side where they can sort of say i want it to look like this and kind of pan and zoom or whatever and they walk around this 3d world that's print it is vr on in the sense that they are looking at the virtual world um as they're walking around it but it is ar in the sense where they get to decide where they're going to be in this three-dimensional world in real in the real world mm -hmm. in actual real 3d space um, which I thought was very interesting that that is such a thing that that exists first of all, but also I think that that is kind of where everything's going that mm -hmm. it's sort of like m almost the opposite of motion capture, right? The motion mm -hmm. has already been decided. It's more where the camera is going to be and you want to ex have the exact right angle on it. And have you, have you heard of anything like that before? 
I mean, I, I can go, it's called virtual production. Um, <laughs> and I was used heavily on, on a number of different movies. Um, so when I was working at Sony Fisher Image Works, um, we ended up doing cleanup as part of my training on uh, Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs number two. Um, and part of the initial training was actually for the first Cloudy. Um, and they were using a big old JVC camera where they pushed through video into uh, the headset and you could actually do that as like a over the shoulder camera into as everybody knows or may not know cloudy was a uh, an entirely cartooned uh, event and so you know somebody was running physically through a fully digital scene and they looked in through the eyepiece and it was you know the digital world that they were able to see but this combination technology um, was also heavily used on lion king uh, and then um, everybody if anybody's seen any bts or behind the scenes for mandalorian uh, that's when it became like really blossom, mm -hmm. really kind of come out. And, and that was interesting because the stage yeah. itself became, it was almost like a projection oh, mapping yeah. on the stage as they mm -hmm. were acting. It was uh, pretty, pretty interesting. That's a big thing. Yeah, you can do combination between LED walls. Uh, you can do full projection mapping. You can do everything in between. Um, but that's that's some of the heavy stuff that we're doing uh, with movie studios is is virtual production, being able to, because you can't do it in post that was always the joke oh we'll fix it in post there is no post anymore mm -hmm. it's all happening you have to do it in pre you have to have things scanned you have to have the world scanned you have to have you know 3d assets uh and our technology is being heavily used in uh, a number of different uh groups and 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 studios so virtual production is really dynamic right so not only do you get to choose where you are in space where the camera angle is you can also with these digital sets actually influence the scene, right? So you say, oh, I've decided it should be dusk, not dawn. Mm -hmm. You can literally change the lighting. You can change the entire scene behind you. Oh, I want this side of the canyon, not that side of the canyon, right? And as long as you have a high quality scan of, of, of an on location shoot that you've done, number one, you don't have to port your entire camera crew and actors there, mm -hmm. right? You can actually bring the set to the stage right. and do the production there and so it really is this culmination of the physical and the digital coming together in a way that is not only going to make it more cost effective <laughs> to actually create these productions but also it helps the the actors and the folks that are on set be more in the moment and actually really um, engage with the scene even further right there's green screen is going to be a thing of the past um, the amount of cleanup post-production and things that have to happen to make green screen like effective really is it's going the way of the dodo yeah. um, and getting replaced by these digital screens. Yeah. Uh, for all kinds of reasons. Um, I've tried to work on green screens a couple times. Um, and it, it's funny how one thing I posted on Facebook one time was a photo of me in front of a green screen mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh, nothing could ever bad could happen to this uh, photo. So I'm just going to place <laughs> it right <laughs> here. <laughs> and, of, you know, kind of getting everyone yes. to play along. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of people did jump in and they were trying to do stuff with it. And in every single one of them, it was, there was a bit of like Halo. tinge yep. a little bit. Yeah. It was very difficult for them. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't do any work to soup it mm -hmm. up to make it better, but at the same time, that that is just an enormous amount of cleanup, as mm -hmm. you said. So I think I think you're right. I think this is all kind of going to this this uh, virtual world sort of design and mm -hmm. or s these these walls that are three um, D three D printed walls slash projection mapping <laughs> slash oh, yeah. LEDs or whatever um, because I think that that is just way cheaper, way better. Let's well, just new age set design. And as I soon mean, and as soon as we have it. LED screens yeah. that are that are nice and uh, you know flexible, then mm -hmm. it gets just that much better. Oh yeah. All right. 
So I, another thing I, I think that was kind of interesting about this is I think there's a way, is if we can get AR working right, we might actually be able to stop a lot more crime. So it's sort mm. of like, um, sort of the promise of a Google Glass, because I, I have a lot of problems with Google Glass, but it, the promise of always when I'm outside my house, let's say, like don't record while I'm inside my house mm -hmm. or, or you know, only record when, when this jerk is over because he's very likely to cause fights or something. Every day. Uh, or only start recording, uh, or always start, rec always record, but only record the, you know, 30 seconds or so, unless I yell something. And then all of a sudden, st you know, start buffering, moving from buffer to actually writing to disc or something. I think there's a way, uh, using a little bit of AI and augmented reality where it can actually say, well, this person's starting to wind up for a punch or, you know, this person, you know, appears to be walking in a way that means they might be you know, carrying a weapon or something, or, you know, you, you might be able to overlay or this person's a known felon. Uh, you know, you might want, <laughs> might want to be wary about this, uh, you know, cause this person's just kind of walking up to you out of the blue. You don't know if they're, you know, a normal person just kind of walking up, you know, they have a problem with their tire or something, or that, you know, there might be something more nefarious going on there. I realize that there's a lot of potential for bad things to happen with that sort of profiling as well. Um, yeah. but I do think that there could be some good stuff in there buried in there have you have you heard any apps along those lines or thought about that at all so i i have a lot of problems more than i have um agreement with it and i think more of that comes from the technological capabilities that we currently sit in and um you know people of color just in general are massively misidentified i don't know how many different facial recognition systems i walk behind somebody who has a darker skin tone it goes to me instead of to them um, as well, you know, people who have uh, Native American roots uh, are seen as children. Like, it, these these things are absolutely, uh, most face rec technology is so, so bad. Um, you know, if we started fixing that, sure, there'll be a certain amount of biases. And, you know, I've, I've but it has helped with standards. Better. It better. Better is a very relative term. Uh, yeah, I, 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 can, I concur. Um, I mean, oftentimes it won't won't record any human at all in yeah. the scene. You know, it's like, what is going on? There's lots of people. Uh, yeah. There's lots of people here. What, what's going on? Um, so I realize I agree. Mm -hmm. But also I think that even if you got it right less than 50% of the time, there would still be significant value to this thing. Like I, I think, um, I think that, so I, I was playing around with the idea of an app that would uh, allow you to route through cities um, the, but based on any parameters you want instead mm -hmm. of the typical ones, sure. like, you know, I don't really care that much about traffic today because I'm not in a hurry. So show me all the beautiful places or show me all the, put me on a route where, uh, I'm going to see the most amount of water or so, whatever, all these overlays. Avoid the high crime areas. Yes. You, you nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it. And so what happens if that app becomes extremely popular and certain areas are just fully avoided by all traffic? Not because you selected it, but but that that's by default because that will get you where you want to go with least least chance of something bad happening. It's it's pretty interesting where things can go. I don't know what the ethics on that exactly are, but it seems like there's probably some ethical challenges. It creates a further divide of the have and have not. I agree. Yeah. So if you got a if you got a smartphone and this app and you know the education necessary to mm -hmm. download and use said app uh, and a car. Uh, you can avoid the situation we're ever going to be in altercations. Yeah, the data's there. Actually, that's how we found out the apartment that we were living in, or I, we split condo uh, in New Orleans. 
Uh, so so uh, I was working at Gameloft in New Orleans, a uh, video game studio, and uh, we were looking for a safe place, and they have a crime map. Austin has a crime map. doesn't matter where you live. Mm -hmm. uh, and I found there's this one little half block area that nothing had happened in 10 years. So we drive over there. We originally were going to a house. That one wasn't taken, but, you know, the one right down the way was. Um, and we get it, and, and, and uh, you know, it was great. And then we end up, like, why is this place still so safe? And I look right across the street and there's a little old lady in a canary yellow house with a Winchester at her feet. She ended up having a heart attack, went to the hospital for two weeks and there was a fight. The only fight in the last however many years because the little old lady was in the hospital and her Winchester wasn't watching. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there is something to that. It's just, I don't know if I feel comfortable pushing it you know it's mm -hmm. it's it's interesting to think yeah. about i like the idea i like the thought exercise i'm not sure that the ramifications are altogether the best because that would just depress areas that are already depressed even further you know it would have a sort of accelerating effect i would also oh, i was gonna say i think about ways yeah. so the ways app um actually they coined a term a ways left <laughs> so it was a wayfinding <laughs> app that was like a crowdsource data right yeah. And so, you know, everyone would kind of, you know, they would read all the metrics from everyone's phone about how fast they were going or, or where they were traveling, all that stuff, and then pipe it in, right? And so you would get, you know, the fastest route, right, would take you across 72 lanes of traffic. You needed mm -hmm. to take an unprotected left. And you're like, why, Waze? Why? <laughs> and it was uphill. You're talking about the one in L.A., right? That thing oh, was, it was horrible. Horrifying. <laughs> horrifying. L.A. was actually a great city for Waze, except for when it did a Waze left on us. And we're like, this is so bad. But I mean, this is an aggregate of a lot of data. This is an aggregate of, you know, of, of wayfinding. And that's where my mind went. And I was like, you know, for all the, the preparation and all the data and all the things that they were trying to do on the good side, they also had this very negative mm -hmm. piece that actually was a huge deterrent from using it because it was it was very dicey. <laughs> well, they're already talking about how, you know, uh, routing apps are, are messing up street flow and things like that because mm -hmm. they send them on regular streets. But to your exact question, I wonder if it would speed up gentrification. Oh, it certainly would. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're depressing yeah. an area yep. and then suddenly, you know, people are buying it up and then they're bringing in their own security and then the police are starting to watch that area. And then now it's bringing more traffic through that area again. Um, but, you know, then it displaces the people that were already there because, you know, nobody was going through that area. So all the businesses that were there, I mean, it's they like the leave. Walmart effect, yeah, right? They all, they all leave. And, <laughs> yep. So another thing I think would be the killer app for me in particular for AR is everyone's name. I am terrible remembering people's <laughs> name, but it'd be awfully nice if this thing could do a little bit of, okay, you've seen this person. When is the last time I saw this person? You saw him at a conference three years ago. Well, I'm not going to remember that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> thank you. You know, it, that would be tremendously useful. And even just like a small writer of, you know, what their name is mm -hmm. in context of who I met them with would be quite useful to spark that. Oh, that's what we talked about. That's, you know, that was the context of this conversation. Um, if we, if someone can build that, that mm -hmm. I think that would, and actually make it work. I'm not saying, you know, some some bs version of it i think that would be extraordinarily <laughs> useful people's birthday throw it on there why not uh you know basically all the information you get in like an outlook contact and that would be extremely i know where somebody do they live did something like this with google glass and they they set up uh, a linkedin hit 
uh, and they were trying to figure out all the investors that were in the room. Mm. And so as they turned, then they would get photos on one side, you know, and they would go, okay, these are the people they actually need to talk to. Uh, it didn't really help them much, I but it was imagine, a really interesting story. They're, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, I got to talk to them. Yeah, but it was, it was interesting. It is know. interesting. So um, I, the, I saw another thing that I thought was really cool about AR and VR in particular. It allows people to explore trolley problems that normally you wouldn't get to. So we always talk about trolley problems. You know, mm -hmm. would you throw this uh, this person on the train track to save these these four other kids or whatever? And usually it's some fat man that you're going to be throwing on the on the in, in this trolley problem. Of course. So one version of it is you just have the switch. You, mm -hmm. you switch and it kills the 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 fat guy. Uh, and then and then another version, you actually have to push him off a bridge, and then he'll land on the train tracks. And it'll crush him, but stop the train, and mm -hmm. the kids will be saved. And despite the fact that they have the exact same effect, you know, one person dies, four people live, people have a lot of problems with the second one. Mm -hmm. They just don't want to do it. Like, uh, it's a little bit too intimate, you know, I guess. Uh, pushing a button's way, way, way easier. But it allows, I think AR and VR allows you to actually start exploring these things a little bit more carefully. Like, what is it about that? And you can really tune it to the exact thing that people are allergic to or do or don't want to do about these different versions of these trolley problems. Yeah. I think that's really uh, an area that no one has truly explored and could be. There's an interesting useful. one I've seen before. Uh, I don't know if you know about this one. It was, uh, I think, a Stanford study where they were trying to figure out if somebody would hurt another person. Uh, and they were told if they pressed the button over and over and over again, it would end up hurting them more and more and more. Um, and, and there was no reason why they were told. It just can tell them that it was getting progressively worse. And, and many people, by being very pressured by the other person, you know, the, the people who are running the study, they, they would continue to turn up the power, even to lethal doses, just because they were pushed. And, um, you know, once again, we've talked about, you know, governmental hands and fingers into things and, and, uh, and nefariousness and nefarious actions. Um, I, I think you're hundred percent right. Nobody's really touched it on that side. And then of course my fear is, is misuse and abuse. Of course, but also it's very useful for things like, are you going to press the button in the nuclear bunker? Yeah. Are you actually going to go through with your job? Um, it would. It's a lot easier to actually experience all the sights and the sounds and the touches and whatever, um, which I realize they try to do with you know actual live simulations, but yeah. you could do it 20 times a day when they're off duty you know, or just hanging out or in weird scenarios that are actually very difficult, like all of a sudden there's a gas leak or what do you do? You know, like these weird scenarios where they're having to take corrective action that mm -hmm. might be, or you might actually have to kill the guy next to you for reals, you know? Well, you're probably not practicing that every day. Well, you could in this VR sense. True. Um, Human, humans are pack animals, right? And so I do think that it has that influence of like who's around you. What is, what is the scene being set, right? Are you saving 20 people and killing one person? But I do think there's a lot of value in that continued practice um, of in an immersive way, right? Um, even going back to literally just like retraining your brain for stressful things that are coming. So for me particularly, I would I would go back to like having having kids. Giving birth is like a very daunting thing and you don't know what it's going to be like until you're doing it, right? And so you can practice, you can visualize, you can do everything. I mean, I did all the things to sort of prepare myself for it, right? 
it still didn't happen the way that I expected it to, but it was still an inevitable like happening. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think the more you can kind of, you know, prepare yourself in different manners, the better off you're going to be. So I think there's a lot of value there. Um, reduction of uh, PTSD and things like that. So if you pre-train appropriately enough, when you're talking about police, military or, or EMS, they've seen that it reduces the chances of those individuals having PTSD. So that's yeah. like another big useful piece. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Uh, so one of the thing, one of the projects that we sort of toyed with at one point a long time ago was the idea of using the 3D volumetric capturing, mm -hmm. uh, ideally in slow motion, uh, which is actually an area that it's like this little sub niche of this whole thing to watch somebody, let's say, taking a gun out of a holster and pointing it and pulling the trigger. And the idea would be, are they pulling it too quick? Are they putting their finger on the trigger ahead of time? Are they actually looking at the sights? Are they dropping the muzzle right before they shoot? And all these sort of shooter problems that you could extrapolate and turn into military applications. And the utility for something like that on the battlefield, um, when you start extrapolating to all of these little sort of micro movements, you're like, where did this person go wrong? Why do they keep missing? What, what's happening there? It's actually really difficult to diagnose. All you can see is that they missed. But yeah, but why did they miss? It's sort of like that golf swing where it's it's the perfect golf swing, but for some reason it always just keeps going left. What's going on? Well, it turns out that they right at the last second this thing is happening. And you can slow the video down if they're in a stable enough location, but um, but it would be even better if you could spin the camera around. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, look, it's their ankle that's twisting here or, or whatever is causing this minor issue to occur. Um, wh where do you see that sort of going? especially in the military space, where do you, where do you see that going? I mean, I look at that all as kind of athletic performance, right? Whether it's a gun or a golf club, your body movements and, and your mental state, of course, all point into your in performance, right? Um, we have very early on, we identified that there were immediate use, use cases for VR training, um, specifically, you know, in this realm. Um, and again, it's that training piece is really important, but that feedback and that analytics part is also really important. Understanding not only, you know, how to mentally prepare yourself for these different scenes and scenarios, but also how to physically prep and overcome, you know, some of those shortcomings that you might have with your ankle twisting or your finger being on the trigger too early or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. um, we have looked at that um, more in depth on the sports training side, um, softball, and a few other uh, golf as well, um, and how we can help sort of create solutions in that realm. What it often boils down to is that you need cameras that have a high frame rate because the movement is quick, yeah. right? You need to be able to capture all of those minute movements and be able to play them back and analyze them effectively. And then, of course, you know, depending on how you're actually analyzing, whether it's a human or whether it's a machine, how are you training it? What does your data sets look like? You know, what are you really trying to get out of this? Yeah, one one of the things I think is wrong with a lot of training is that there's a human doing the training. Yeah. yeah. Humans are terrible. We're really, really, really bad yes. at training. And what we're what other humans are bad about is receiving bad human training. Mm -hmm. if, if if someone's yelling at you over your shoulder, telling, oh, you're doing this all wrong, and I've done it a hundred times. Let me just show you how it's done. Well, you, that flashlight higher, son. Or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's just it. You know, Thanks, we've all had very bad people we just can't learn from. We mm. just can't do it. But computers, on the other hand, I mean, they're totally emotionless. They're yeah. just saying, hey, this is what the problem is. If yeah. you want to correct it, here's how to correct it. You know, and so I can do it a thousand times wrong. I'm like, oh, I really want to do it right. And the computer's not getting frustrated. The computer's just like, okay, you're doing the thing wrong again. 
and I just keep doing it and do it. And then finally I do it right. And it's like, yep, you did it right. It's like, wow, that was the time I did it right. That's amazing. No one's time is being abused. It's just me and a computer just hanging out doing the thing we need to do. And I think for military applications in particular, that kind of thing, allowing a soldier to fail a thousand times until they just get it right I think that could take a lot of soldiers who would normally just not be suitable for whatever mm. job and make them suitable. Can make their brain work, can make their body work in whatever way it would. It, sure, it could be, you know, a sports team, it could be, you know, diving, who knows, right? It could be anything. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's a lot of promise in that sort of <sighs> paying very, very close attention to every micro movement. I actually saw something recently in basketball where they were trying to do photogrammetry mm -hmm. in. I wouldn't call it real time because I'm sure it was delayed, but they were, <laughs> they were moving the camera around and sort of going through their players. And so you could see the shot from different angles or whatever. And that's fine for post-game analysis, but it's, I think it's even better for training where, you know, you're, I'm trying to hit this shot. I'm just trying to do this weird thing. And it's always weird because it's an off angle. I'm trying to shoot in a weird way or whatever. It's not something that's going to happen very often in a game. Certainly not often enough for that to make sense for that, that, that photogrammetry thing to actually be useful because mm -hmm. it's not, I'm never going to have, it's never going to happen or very rarely going to happen. But in training, yeah, I've got hours and hours and hours just to practice this one shot. Well, yeah. Show me how to do it right. And no coach, I know you've got 50 other people to go pay attention to and, you know, media stuff to go handle and whatever, but I, I just need to get this one shot right. So you practice it over and over. The computer just gently tells you, nope, you're off by this. You, you moved your ankle again, you know, or whatever. I think there's a lot of value to that. A ton. Actually, we had looked at uh, police training. I don't know if anyone's seen actual police training. Um, it's walls on screen. Everybody remember going to Chuck E. Cheese's and you know you shoot. The... It's that. That's exactly what they have. Um, and being able to take that to another level, where you're talking about scanning people, putting people in, and you can replay that scenario, not necessarily the same way over and over and over again. But things can change. Um, so we end mm -hmm. up putting a white paper together uh, with Intel uh, that was about uh, being able to go ahead and set up very easy police and military training where you could move around things like uh, foam blocks. You could move around the room. You could, uh, you know, drop, uh, you know, these, uh, you know, QR code like objects into the room. Uh, and then the machine would would go ahead and set that up. So say you're practicing something like, um, say, say a school shooting, trying to protect kids from from that. Well, you need the the layout, and so you can put up these foam blocks, and it looks like this. Here's the stairs, everything like that. You put on the headset, boom, you're immersed entirely in that environment, and then you could run these simulations over and over again. It comes out this side, it comes out that side. They come from that. There's five people here. There's twelve, you know, and you can run these completely contrived situations that you never could even possibly see in the real world, but it prepares for so much more. And, mm -hmm. and I see these as, as, uh, you know, the, but the even, next acceleration. what even yeah. better is then the computer says, here's what you just did wrong. Exactly. And the, you might have an instructor who can go and coach you or whatever, yeah. but they have gone home and now you're just working through the night, just doing your exercises until you're, you got good at it. Mm. I think there's a lot of value to that part in particular where they're just, it reminds me of, I was talking to a friend of mine. I was like, well, we built this app and he was talking about it. It's like, oh, well, how do I get this thing set up? I'm like, oh, just give us a call. He's like, I have to call you to do this? Yeah. Is, can I just go to a website or something? I'm like, well, it's new. It's beta software, blah, yeah. blah, blah. He's like, I, I'm sorry. I just don't, I don't want to mm -hmm. deal with salespeople, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's sort of that sort of, I think people really, there was another example of this where I'm not sure. I think this actually predates COVID, but 
they were trying to do like teledoc stuff and mm. they're like <clears throat> well it turns out if the if the teledoc asks you questions people are way more likely to answer correctly they're they're not going to lie to that computer but if a hum if they think a human's on the other line even if the humans are the one writing the questions uh they're like uh they're much less likely to want to answer honestly about it um well, the other thing, right, exactly what it, you're, to what you're speaking to is it's a, it's a lesser drain on resources, right? You don't need to have other people. You don't need to have, you know, someone watching you. You don't need to have all these pieces and parts in place to do the training, to really dig into it, do it a thousand times. We actually saw this exact thing. We applied this um, similar principle. So um, quantum rehabilitation is the second largest motorized wheelchair manufacturer in the world. Um, when we were under minor studios, we actually created, uh, iDrive VR with them, which is a virtual reality driving simulation for power chairs, for motorized wheelchairs. And so it used the tenants of that virtual reality therapy that we created earlier on, um, levelized sort of gamified play. Um, what it did is it actually hijacked the physical drive control from the wheelchair. So whether that was a joystick um, a sip and puff, was, which is like a straw. <clears throat> That's even drive. better. So it's like it, it's actually the soldier's gun or, or yes. the yeah. actual human being's wheelchair. Yes. 100%. Exactly. Interesting. So they did not have to be seated in a proper wheelchair. They needed to have a, the access to the drive control that they were using, mm -hmm. um, the computer and the headset, essentially. So they could do it from a bed. They could do it from a chair. It would be even better, though, if it actually feels like the wheelchair, yeah. everything's ideal. Well, they, they did do ones where the chair actually moved and, and things got weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, we didn't let that happen. Of, <laughs> that's the problem. One of the tough parts with that entire sort of ecosystem is that clinicians are the ones that are typically expected to train people on using their wheelchairs to mm. be the oversight. And so there's limited bandwidth. So you're talking, you know, 20 ish hours of training that you get in a power chair. And, and if you've had like a severe accident and you are now, you know, quadriplegic, this might include time learning to sit up again not even you know learning to actually uh, operate something that accelerates and directionally changes based on a single movement of your head or your chin or your hand depending on your you know your body function and so this is an exact direct sort of you know um, symbol um, in a different arena right it's not it's about maximizing resources and allowing people to access this training and do it to the best of their ability as much as they possibly can. That thing that you said was uh, actually, you know, some patients well beyond human capability was the reason why iDrive was actually created. Um, I had done a ride along uh, with a family friend of ours, his name's Kevin, um, and he uh, actually worked for a competitor of Quantum, uh, which, uh, so I, I, the ride along that I did was for a seating, and this gentleman had been uh, in a massive car wreck uh, and his entire spine was fused. Um, I saw a man attempt to sit in a chair, um, and after his hour period that he was allowed to be in it, um, was incapable of doing nothing. They're like, oh, oh, that was your hour. And um, wow. I, said, I said something needed to happen. <laughs> yeah, of course. Human, so. human dignity is what mobility is about. Yeah. Um, it's taking away someone's legs. Yep. Yep. So let's change the topic a little bit and talk about deep fakes. Cool. Um, <clears throat> just change it up. So what I think deep fakes really comes down to is no longer being able to trust our senses. Mm -hmm. Now, that might actually be a great thing because now we might be in a situation where we're like starting to question everything. 
a lot of people are like, well, I, I don't want to be in a world where I have to question everything. I just want to be able to believe my pundit or whatever. It's like, well, now you can't even believe that because that can easily be hijacked. What we're really talking about is identity theft, a different sort of identity theft where, you know, it's they don't have to have your driver's license anymore. They can just look like you. Um, they can be on Zoom theoretically if, if the models worked well enough and were dynamic enough or they could just pre-record it and just send them a video or whatever. And here's, here's your favorite pundit saying this terrible thing. Um, there was a, a guy, I'm sure you saw Chris Hume, uh, metaphysic AI uh, did the Tom Cruise deep fakes. Yeah. So I personally, uh, I was talking with Charlie Burgoyne about this. I personally did not think that that was passing the uncanny Valley personally. Maybe I've just got a very specific eye for this kind of thing or something, but it was very close. Mm -hmm. I could see where it was going for sure. Where, where do you think that's going to be in like in another five years? Do you think it's just going to be something everyone has on their Snapchat filter and they can just play anything they want? Is it how, how far away are we? Do you think? I think with the, it looks like them situation. Yes. I think the thing that you detected in this is how the uncanny Valley works. It has to do with motion. That's the biggest part of the uncanny Valley. It can look just like a person. And if you froze and you saw a single frame, you might have a difficulty understanding that that was or wasn't him. But those minor tweaks and those minor mannerisms and the reason why we do holographic video and volumetric video the way that we do is that little, little things and those little ways that people's faces and, and, and things work. And yeah. that's the hard part. Fortunately, they, they actually had both videos before and after. Mm. So, you know, it's an actor who sounds kind of like Tom Cruise, yeah. even pretty much like him. But um, the before and after, the light was quite different on the forehead and the mm. cheeks and the nose or whatever. The, just the, the angle that the light was coming in was different enough. And maybe that's what my eye was keying off of. Could or could have been what you're talking about. Slight different movements of the face, slight different movement of the head in general mm. that just was not quite accurate. But I totally think that's going to be overcome in in a handful of years at max kind of thing. Um, I'm just not sure how accessible that's going to be. Is it going to still require massive gaming rigs with you know tons of GPUs, or is it something we're going to be able to miniaturize and put on smartphones? Or yeah. you think it's that close? You think it's we're all going to have it in our pockets? Well, then what can do, we what can do, we trust? I was like, do you, want, do you want to, do you want to go to the tech side, Alex? <laughs> you want to talk about the business side? You, what, you go ahead. What I hope is that we start actually being able to own our own identities. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice. Um, which Through uh, NFTs. Yeah, through, through, through NFTs. Wait, does that mean you can sell your identity forever? Yeah, why not? Um, why not? <laughs> I mean, you know, digital me is worth a lot more than physical me. Right. <laughs> uh, That's true. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity um, for iteration in this space, and I do think that we are starting to see a lot more movement in protection of consumer rights. Um, particularly, you know, if you're looking at the DMA, the things that are happening, Digital Media Act in the EU, we're starting to see movement toward consumer friendly, not tech friendly, right? And so big tech, this is actually geared particularly at big tech in the US. Um, they are looking at specific, you know, um, uh, revenue rates. Um, bef that's when it's really going to hit. So we're talking your gatekeepers. So Google, Facebook, um, et cetera, right? They're going to be the ones that are that are subject to this. They have to have open-ended ecosystems. They The EU says that everyone who buys something on Google Play should be able to play it on your Apple um, device, right? And vice versa. So open ecosystems, right? This is already 
a much more friendly mm-hmm. <laughs> opportunity for us as consumers. Um, and then we're seeing, you know, that they can't just scoop up every tiny company and then take over the entire space and do a lot of antitrust stuff. I think this is directly in line with the movement that should be happening in order to stop some of the movement around deep fakes, around, you know, media spoofing and all the things that are happening that are kind of duping people. And I I personally want to own my digital, you know, the rights to my digital self and the rights to my data. And I believe that we're going to see a lot more movement in that direction. This and the ethics around uh, XR and, and, and technology around that was the reason why we actually went into CTA. Because the last thing you want is an uninformed lawmaker. You, <laughs> I mean, you yeah, end up I making literally things, just had this conversation yeah. with the salient guys uh, oh, yeah. last week. So we're, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think one very interesting thing that is in this space is just there's a lot of photos of people online now. Mm-hmm. Um, so creating, building up, even if there's no video at all, unlike the situation like this where there's a lot of video of us, where there's no video, I do believe it's going to be possible to create this sort of retroactive volumetric uh, profiles of people. It's, it's been done. Yeah. Someone and, actually made a photogrammetric of, uh, of um, blonde um, uh, someone J- JFK uh, relationship, possibly um, Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe <laughs> redid. A, thank you, thank you. You're they welcome. they did a, a photogrammetric re- redo of Marilyn Monroe based off of of movie angles and things like that. They were able to actually build one. So yeah. So, but that had the advantage of having video. I would wonder how Even easy. If you had enough photos. Yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of where I'm going with yeah. this. I think if you just have enough f- photos in your profile or whatever. Or <laughs> Yes. You're, you're going to be able to... The build photos up. are easier. I think they would be easier, oh, actually. Easier and so they're easier and more abundant, uh, which I think makes that uh, pretty pretty terrifying, as a matter of fact. So back to your point, uh, did you, uh, your digital identity could just be just lifted from you um, just by virtue of you posting you know, your holiday photos or whatever. One of the reasons I don't post pictures of my kids <laughs> online. <laughs> yeah. You want to be able to recognize them? Uh, I feel like they should have the right to choose and I don't think they're old enough to choose. So, so where does, where does this all like not being able to trust our senses thing go in terms of we have, we have this, we have this sort of like pearl clutching around violence in video games, for instance, don't roll your eyes. I, I, I said pearl clutching. Uh, but I, I think, um, I think that there's, there's a sort of a similar sort of sense of deep fakes from my perspective. I think both people are pretty good at detecting them just because they're like, where did this come from? Where's the source? And did people just ask questions, especially about anyone who's of note, right? Some politician or something. But secondly, if it gets really bad, people will just go, oh, it's probably deep fake and just move on. Um, or at least that's my sense of where things are going. Like a lot of my more sort of in the weeds, technical friends thinks that we should, we should all be putting as much BS on the internet as we possibly can just to make it so impossible for you to ever think that anything online is real, that you have to question everything and you just get senses about yourself or just leave and go actually have a life in the real world. You know, Mm. don't use social media at all. Um, where where do you, where do you feel? Where's where's your, where's your head at? I personally fall on the side of I would rather just go have a real life. (laughs) (laughs) There you Um, go. (laughs) That being said, we work in digital, right? Literally everything we do and the way that we we frame our work is around 
enabling others to do content creation, right? And this includes people, right? Uh, at some point, uh, that's not really our focus at this juncture, but we see opportunities um, and we will put in the ethical boundaries um, as makers. I think I do think that part of the responsibility falls to the people that are making these enabling tools, the people that are making this content. If you're crossing an ethical boundary and you're taking someone's, you know, digital presence, digital identity and using it for inappropriate purposes <laughs> without <laughs> their consent, you know, you should be held, you should be held liable for that. Um, but again, we come back to where, where does that fall on the, the regulatory scale, the legal scale? What can you actually do about it? That has yet to be determined as far as I can tell. I'm, I'm on the flip side. Put out as much crap as you can. I, I totally agree with you. You know, we, we were actually uh, invited by Tim Draper on his uh, five-week uh, hero camp thing. And, and one of the things that he does is, you know, tell three things about yourself and one of them needs to be a lie. And it made it very clear very early, you know, that a lot of people are extremely good at lying. And, and that's something I think everybody kind of inherently knows and inherently gets. But at the same time, you know, trusting where things come from and trusting sources and and stuff like that once it's on the internet pe people just seem to go oh well this seems good uh and i i think you know there should be entire classes surrounding that for all children going hey this is what you need to i mean look for. in terms of not being able to trust your what even happened in history just yeah. putting out enough bs oh did you know that some French king did some, he's the one who invented whatever. And everyone's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And share. I heard then, Abraham Lincoln said that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you put enough of Tweeted that stuff it. out, yeah. it's very difficult, very difficult to know what's real and what's not real. If your friends are sharing it like, oh, is this real? I better, I better double check. Yeah. Um, but then you check Wikipedia and it's also full of messes and, you know, misquotations and whatever, because that's the idea, right? Just keep putting out as much BS out there as you possibly can. I, I know a guy who actually uh, used to get backstage by putting his name on the band. Mm -hmm. And so you'd be like, yeah. oh, yes, yeah, I'm part of the band. And it's like <laughs> on Wikipedia because anybody can change it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, yeah, other ways to change websites too as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there is something to that concept. Um, back probably 20 years ago now, I, this, this is the first example of this, um, this sort of what, uh, super, super realism thing, but this sort of predates what we modern think of as AR VR or whatever, any, anything like that. This is a torture technique that the Russians came up with. Um, and I wanted to run this by you. All right. Um, and I don't know if this is real or not, or this just came from one of my demented friends. I don't know, but I'm just going to say it anyway. All right. Um, so the idea was you kidnap somebody, um, and you, uh, drug them so they're out right mm. and it, need, it needs to be drugs uh you can't like knock them out sure um and then you basically cover their entire body with um some sort of like novocaine or whatever so they can't feel the, anything in their skin and you put them in a neoprene uh suit and then you put them in a sensory deprivation tank uh so no sight no sound nothing mm -hmm. but they have to be able to breathe so there's it's sort of a helmet sort of situation but then they there's a microphone and a headset built into mm -hmm. it and a way to breathe obviously otherwise you'd die because you're underwater and i think you're actually somehow sunken slightly so you're actually kind of tethered to the ground kind of so you can't get out uh but a big enough space where you can't feel anything you know there's nothing nothing to, to touch really and um and then you wake up and you're in this complete void 
uh, where there's no sound. You can't everything's feel. You can't feel your skin. You can't really feel anything. You're just kind of free floating body. It's a full disassociation. Though. Full disassociation. Um, and the idea is, if you're a religious even a little bit, you'll think you've died. Yeah. Um, and so they'll leave you in there for like a day or whatever. Um, and then they basically say one word: confess. And now you think you're in purgatory. Um, and you're like, Oh geez, uh, I better like, like get it all out, right? Every single last detail of anything you can think of that you've ever done. That's bad. You start spilling your guts. See that. Um, and so they just gather it all up. And then when they're done, they're like, great. And they just let you out on the street, uh, with zero bumps or bruises on you. Um, and you're completely fine. I mean, I think if people don't think, uh, super realism is a thing, I think they're Mm -hmm. just not being creative enough. I think that is the power of, you know, just a little bit of trickery of your eyes. Your senses just get a little bit numbed or feel a little bit different than you might expect. And you might you might truly believe that you've died or that you're mm-hmm. in some place or that you can jump, you know, off buildings because you're the guy in the Matrix or whatever. And um, yeah. I, I think that's, that's something worth thinking about. I, I don't think people realize that they can be that gullible. That even spies can be that gullible. Yeah. Um, well, I believe it. So the reason why we created VRT, uh, so the virtual reality therapy stuff, uh, is I actually have been in a partially disassociative state because of multiple head traumas. So that I that explains a lot. Yeah, right. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and uh, you know, for for me, what they did was you know the typical you know we're going to put you on medication and and deal with this, and it became you know a spiraling. Uh, issue uh, where at the end of it, I was like, I don't feel any better. I still feel, you know, semi-disassociative. You know, basically it feels like I'm in a dream state a lot. Um, And so, you know, how do I make this to where it's better for other people? You know, how do I make a world where, you know, if you have a fear and phobia, because a lot of people do become disassociative. A lot of people have issues where it starts affecting their life. What what, what can I do to kind of help out? So, a lot of things that we've done has been because, you know, the world sucks. Like, how do you make it a little bit better for some other people? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. All right. So we said we we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the metaverse. Sweet. Um, so I think this is a nice way to round three, out the right? show. Yeah. Why don't we, uh, <laughs> um, so the two that I'd heard of was Sensorium, Galaxy, and Meta, but I'm sure there's a hundred now. Um, yep. So um, why don't you give me your opinion? Where where is that going and how's it doing? Um, I, it seemed like it was a big explosion of people talking about it and then a quick die off. And I don't really hear anyone talking about it at the moment. I will say I've legitimately had someone ask me if Mark Zuckerberg invented the metaverse. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, definitely not. Oh, it was your chance. You <laughs> definitely He could have led them astray with this BS uh, we're talking about. <laughs> Our Lord and a, Savior. Uh, this was... <laughs> Real no, life Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> and Mark Zuckerberg. They they got in their colluded, way way back machines. Colluded in their time machine. Yeah. Oh shoot. Um. Holy moly. Yeah. No. Um. That was that's actually fascinating to me that people are like so detached from reality. That being said, this is my world, so I'm like, oh yeah, you didn't know that that was like actually factually not a thing at all. Um. It's bizarre to me. I look at the metaverse really as just like a bucket of technology. To be honest. It really is about the culmination of human experience um, that is fantasy and reality smooshed together in one like sort of virtual experience. I personally look at virtual as any device that we're interacting with. So it could be 
augmented reality, could be virtual reality, could be a headset, a computer, a phone. It doesn't really matter. It could be a billboard, right? Um, there's ways that we consume digital content every single day. And those are all virtual reality to some extent or augmented reality, right? So the way that I think this is really going right right now is that <laughs> the magic of the metaverse, right, is that it's this decentralized, wondrous land where everything is interconnected. That is like so far from real at the moment. Yep. Mm -hmm. Everything is built in silos, right? Yep. We have our individual singular platforms that do not play nicely with other platforms. We have our Facebook horizons and our sandbox and our Fortnite. All these are variations of the metaverse. Some of them are more work oriented. Some of them are more play oriented. Um, we're going to see a convergence. There are some technical uh, infrastructure pieces that need to happen in order for those things to all work well together. Um, and we actually are working specifically on a solution right now for a file type that is like a vector for 3D. So it makes the file itself really small, half a megabyte, um, and it actually balloons onto whichever platform you're putting it on. So you get the highest resolution you possibly can for 3D visual content on any platform. That sounds really promising. Oh, but, yeah. So that, that you could run on a phone. Yes. You could run on anything. Absolutely. Yeah. Point. Absolutely. Yeah. And th the whole point is you have to meet the consumer where they're at. I don't think VR headset adoption is going to magically turn over tomorrow, right? Mm. I don't think AR smart glasses are going to be available widely and adopted widely in the in the near future, right? Again, we come back to all those like hardware sourcing issues. Mm. Ultimately, we have places that we're all going every single day where we're consuming things, we're interacting, and the fundamental is communication. We're all looking for communication, whether it is communication with something that we're a fan of, an artist, whether it is communication with our family. Um, that's, that is really my perspective on it. I think, I think it is that like alphabet soup of acronyms, right? Mm -hmm. Your AR, VR, MR, XR, AI, IOT, ML, CV, da, 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 da. blockchain, crypto. Don't forget those. Oh, um, or we can just talk about <laughs> internet 3.0. I mean, that's the easiest way of looking at it. If anybody remembers internet 1.0, it's just text on a screen. Internet 2.0 is kind of where we live. You can JavaScript. attach with your cell phone. You can, yeah, <laughs> you can do JavaScript. Maybe you can do some Flash Player a stuff. Ajax. Yeah. Ajax. I, have then, a lot of, I have a lot of problems yeah. with these terms, but. Uh... Uh, that, I'm fine with that. And then Web3 uh, or internet 3.0 is much better term since web3 has been adopted by you also need crypto involved mm -hmm. it just means that you can engage with a website or the web itself how you want to whether you have a vr headset ar headset you have your cell phone you have a computer you want to be able to walk around you want to look at the shoes on your feet you want a hat you know they're all of these different kind of combinations and i think the biggest thing that you get out of it is is consumer choice i want to be able to make sure because i have big feet just so you know, size 14. Um, but in some shoes, it's size 13. Some but people I don't, don't brag about no. these things. But uh... Yeah, every day, every day. And so, like, I have to try on shoes, or there's a pretty good chance I'm not going to be able to wear them. And so, like, if I didn't have to go to a store and do that, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. I hate going to stores. <laughs> I don't, you know, whether whether it's, you know, the Karen who's screaming at the uh, customer service person because she's had nothing but to do with her whole life or the fact that I have to drive there and, you know, try to entertain my children the entire time. It's just not pleasant, mm -hmm. you know. So being able to engage with the Internet how I want to, I think it's extremely important for everyone. Agreed. All right. So how do people follow you? How do they find you on the old Internet? 
<laughs> the old internet. Yeah, the old Not yeah. the new internet. No, no. I don't want to go into VR space. Two. <laughs> <Web> two. <laughs> uh, in the metaverse. Now, uh, montechlabs.com. Um, we have our app uh, available on the App Store, uh, iOS or Android, uh, the Mod 3D Scanner. Mm-hmm. And you can follow us on socials, uh, Montec Labs, on most of the major channels. Um, I myself, uh, you reach out to me on LinkedIn, Alex Porter. Great. Same here. Uh, you'll also find me under uh, Tim Cool Mode basically everywhere. That's my typical handle. So, yeah. Well, Tim, Alex, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Yeah.